Last week we kicked off a, a mini-series, and I'll call it a mini-series because all I've got left is this week and next week, and then we got to move on. Because in a couple weeks, we're going to be really talking about where we sense that the Holy Spirit is calling us as a church to step forward. And so we've got to jump into that in a few weeks. And so I've only got a couple weeks to hit this little mini-series that is really about, while we may be in a few weeks talking about where we sense the Holy Spirit calling us as a church, today is really about, and next week, is really about what God's will is for your life in 2019. And I can say that I know with 100% certainty that I know God's will for your life for 2019. When Liz and I first started dating, one of the first places that we had opportunity to go together was over to her grandparents' house, Bill and Alvira Farron's. I loved going over to Bill and Alvira Farron's house to eat because they knew how to cook. They also knew how to tell stories. And they would tell stories from their time as missionaries over decades, God's faithfulness. It was incredible to be a part of that. For whatever reason, she decided she liked me. She did not like Liz's previous boyfriend. And I'm so thankful for that fact. Otherwise, it may not have worked out the way it did. But she did not like him, and she did like me, and that's just the way it worked and I'm thankful for that. But she started telling a story. And actually, it wasn't her. It was her, it was her husband, Bill. Because Bill would tell stories on her, and she would tell stories on him. But he told a story about when they were Bible school president, and students would come and ask, oh, just say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to find out what God's will is for my life. And Elvira would sit across from him and say, you want to know what God's will is for your life? I'll tell you what God's will is for your life. And so that's what I'm doing today. I'm telling you right now, I know with 100% certainty what God's will is for your life in 2019. And I've only got a couple weeks, and so we got to jump right in. So if you would, grab your Bibles this morning. And once you have uh, that Bible, if you would, open it up to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to do whatever it takes to get your hands on one. Reach over and grab one from the seats around you. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is actually our gift to you. We would love for you to grab that Bible, take it, and read it. We are big believers in the Word of God here at Praise Assembly. And the reason why I do this is because of the fact that what we do on a Sunday morning hopefully will make you more comfortable digging into the Scriptures on your own at home when you're alone. I want you to get comfortable in this thing, because this is the word of life for you. Okay, not this. This is the word of life for you this morning. So if you would grab your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 2. Last week, as we were kicking this little mini-series off, we talked about Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which is an incredible promise from God, and that promise is that he is not yet done with you. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus Christ has not yet come back, then he is still working in your life, okay? That's just what the word of God says, okay? Now here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and through 13 is, is where we ended. And this is the prayer that I'm praying over you for 2019. This is the will of God for your life for 2019. This is the prayer that I am praying over me for 2019. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Here is what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is what God is doing in you. Met last week we talked about the fact he's etching his word, his commands, he is etching his law on our hearts. This is the process of what he is doing in your life right now. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and through 13. This, this passage of scripture is probably the most profound passage of scripture that I find talking about what God is doing in your life. And I could spend months digging into it, but I've got two weeks, okay? So we're going to split it in half, and we're going to talk about it this week and next week, and then we got to move on. So pay attention, okay? What we're going to do today is I want you to look at this paragraph not as just a paragraph. Instead, I want you to look at it as a building because the foundation of this passage is at the bottom, okay? The first part can happen because the second part is happening. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, who is, works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the foundation of this verse. And if you don't get this part first, then that other part that's right above it won't make any sense. So we're going to camp on just the second part here, verse 13 today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. And we read this, and boy, that should make each and every one of us fall on our faces before God. And the reason why it doesn't is because it is so personal. And sometimes when we read stuff that is personal about our God, I think we don't read who our God is into it. Okay? And so what I want to do in order for us to grasp the depth of what is happening in this verse, I want us to, to go back to a different passage of Scripture that talks about who our God is and what he is like in order that we might better have a handle on the depths of incredible work that God is doing in our lives here. And in order to do that, I need you to jump all the way back in Scripture to Joshua chapter 5. Okay, if you would, go all the way back to Joshua chapter 5. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's page 180. Got Joshua chapter 5. Here's the thing about our God. Our God is holy. Here's the thing about humanity. We have this really annoying habit. And that a really annoying habit that we have is to try to take the God who is holy and domesticate him and tame him and make him our pet in order that we can harness that God to whatever little project we're working on. We have this really annoying habit to try to take the incredible, powerful, almighty God and make him our God that does what we want. To take that God and to make him in our image. But the word holy 
says that he is above that. And that does not work. Okay? So what's happening in Joshua chapter 5 is that the people of God are coming into the land. The land that God has promised them. He's come, they're coming out of the wilderness. They just crossed through the Jordan River. God dried it up that they might be able to walk through on dry land. And they're coming into this land where there is full, lots of options of lots of gods. A lot of gods that have been made in man's image. A lot of personal gods who if we placate and we do the right things in the right way, making the right gyrations and, and, and saying the right words, then that God will do what we want that God to do. And they're coming into this land where all these options will be laid out in front of them. It'll be all around them in their culture. And God, before they enter in, is they're kind of, I guess, right in between leaving the wilderness and coming into this land, Joshua chapter 5 is all about consecration. It is all about God saying to them, I am a holy God, and now you will be holy people. I am setting you apart as I am apart. You will be holy, for I am holy. And he says, in that way, you will see right at the beginning. I mean, because here's what they do. In order to consecrate themselves, read the whole of the chapter. The first thing they do is they go over the land. They're about to fight battles. First thing they do, circumcise all the men. If you want to fight a battle, that is not what you do right before the battle begins. Look back in Genesis how that worked out, right? But more important than their ability to fight battles is the fact that they are a consecrated, holy people. So then they celebrate a Passover participate in this. This is about them saying, okay, our God is holy, and we must then be holy people. And then right at the end of that is this story that, boy, should mark our hearts. It should really mark us, and I think we need to take this story and read it into Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It happens right at the end in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, so this is, they're just about to go to their first major battle, right? Like Jericho. He's standing outside Jericho and he lifts up his eyes and he looks and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, so are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Okay. This is profound. Because in Exodus chapter 6 verse 7, God said, you are my people and I am your God. And yet as they're coming into the land and Joshua says, so are you on our team or are you on their team? Are you ours or are you theirs? And his answer is, no. Some versions, your version might say, neither. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now tell me, who is the army of the Lord? Well, I would say all of the hosts of heaven are the army of the Lord. I would also say that the army of the people of God are the army of the Lord, which makes this commander 
commander over all of them, right? So, so I'm not on your team, friend. You're on mine. And I am the commander here. And I have come. Okay? Continues on. And uh, it says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. There's a couple of things I really want us to point out here. Number one is if you didn't know who this was before, boy, you really should now. Okay? Because all through Scripture, when angels appear and people are just prone to worship them, what happens? They are rebuked for worshiping an angel. I'm just a servant like you. Don't worship me. And Joshua falls on his face and worships this commander of the army of the Lord, and there is no rebuke. So who could this be but the pre-incarnate Christ? Right? If he's not consumed in a fire, that's this, if there's any place in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate Christ shows up, this is it right here, okay? This is the commander of the army of the Lord. And, and here's the other thing I want you to see about that then. The moment he's there, just by touching the ground, the dirt, the scrub, the grass, the dust, the sand, the molecules that make the ground up all become holy. Just by his presence, just by his touch, the ground is made holy. So he says to Joshua, oh, this ground that you are standing on is holy. Take your shoes off. Okay? This is the God that we serve. A God who is so holy that at his touch, whatever he touches, becomes holy. Now, I can say that. But let me give you somebody else who said it, and said it way better than I do. His name is Eugene Peterson. He, he died earlier, uh, 2018, actually uh, wrote the message, okay? Here's how he said it. Um, he said, God cannot be fit into our plans. We must fit into his. We can't use God. God is not a, an apply, a tool or an appliance or a credit card. Holy is the word that sets God apart and above our attempts to enlist him in our wishful fulfillment fantasies or our utopian schemes for making our mark in this world. Holy means that God is alive on God's terms, alive in a way that exceeds our experience and imagination. Holy refers to life burning with an intense purity that transforms everything it touches into itself. And our God, friends, is a holy God. He cannot be tamed. He cannot be domesticated. He cannot be pulled into our little plans in order to do what we want him to do. Our God is holy. And yet, 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, That God, for it is God, who works in you. Okay? The God that at his touch, the ground becomes holy. That God is not working on you. He's not working for you. Here it doesn't say that anyways. It shows up in other places in Scripture. Where is he working? He is working in you. Our God is not a plastic surgeon. He's a heart surgeon. He's not changing the outside. He's on the inside at work in you. And let me be clear what this passage is about. This passage is about holiness. This passage is about being holy. You want to know how I know that without a shadow of a doubt? Look at it. He is working in us for his good pleasure. Look through the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Now, here I need to pause really, really quickly and upset some people. Because a lot of times we think We think that because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf, that God is automatically pleased with us. And that is a misapplication of an understanding of the righteousness that is imparted to us in Christ. Because if you look all through the New Testament, it says to believers that there is a way you ought to walk in order to please him. And it is also possible in other spots in the New Testament, it says that it is possible for believers to grieve him. Which means that as believers, there is a way we can walk to please him, and there is a way that we can walk that does not please him. And so I want to please him. And boy, even the fact that it is possible that I might please God floors me. Alan Beauchamp might be able to do something to please the one and only almighty holy God. And it's true. It's possible. And this verse tells us how. That you might walk in a way to please God. Here's what it says. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Oh, that's a good word. That's a church word. You won't hear that word anywhere else but in church. Sanctification. Five syllables of awesomeness. Sanctification. And some of you are like, sanctification? No idea what that means. Let me say it another way. Becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. The process of being made holy. Now here's what we need to get about this. You want to know how to please God. Read this verse. It is not being perfect. It's not perfection. What does it say? That just as you are doing, that you do so 
more and more. You want to be pleasing to God. Be in process. Not perfect, in process. Okay? So this is how we please God. But not only that, it's not just how you please God. It's also how you make yourself, or I shouldn't say that, how you are made useful to God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. How do you make sure that you're useful? This right here. And I wish I could illustrate it for you. Unfortunately, friends, I can't. But here's what can happen even before the sermon begins. The Lord can give you the perfect illustration of it. With a young couple who says, I am set apart for God's use. Now, that doesn't mean you need to move off and do something else. What it means is that image should forever be etched in your brain. Because that is what the Lord is calling you to do. To be set apart. If you ever want to know what the word holy looks like, it looks like a couple saying, I'm no longer going to do what I was doing. I am set apart for a different purpose. That is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. But here's what I want you to grasp. What I love about our God, what I love about him, is he says, this is what I want from you. And then go back to second Tim- or second, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. This is what I want from you. What does it say? Well, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he says, this is what I want from you. I want you to be in the process of being made holy. Now, guess who's going to do that work inside of you? Two thumbs and does it. This guy. That's what God says. Isn't that incredible? The one holy, true God comes and works in you. And he does two things. Both to will. What does that mean? It means that he gives you the desire to be holy. So he's working inside of you in order to give you the desire to be holy. Because our problem is we don't even want it. We're like, holy I don't want a head covering or a long skirt. That's not me. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going off in ministry. Why do I need to be holy? That's our our response. But holiness is not just for pastors and ministers and those who are going off in church to do church work. This is for every single one of us. And so we don't even want it. And so he says, that's okay. I'm going to work in you to have the desire to do it. And I love our God because he doesn't stop there. If he just gave us the desire, oh God, I want to be holy, but then ended there, how terrible would that be? We'd want it, but we'd never get it. So he doesn't just work in us to want it. He works in us to have the power to actually accomplish it, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's not only given us the desire, he's given us the power. And at this point, we need to stop. And we need to praise our God a little bit. Because this is our God who loves us so much 
that he speaks this over us and says, I will do this in you. This is an incredible promise for us. He says, this is what I want from you. I want 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And then guess what? I'm the one who's going to give you the desire. And then I'm going to be the one who actually does it and gives you the power. What an incredible God we serve. What a promise for us. I read that verse, and I think, I'm about to become a Calvinist. I'm going to contact the Assemblies of God. Tell them I'm becoming a Baptist. Because this is good stuff. What a promise this is. Who's doing all the work? Right? I'm just going to let go and let God. On the way home, I'm going to sing me some Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel. And he'll find a way to get me home because he's sovereign. I don't even have to do anything. I just go home and I lay on the couch and let God work in me. This is good stuff. Change praise assembly to praise Baptist church. God's doing all the work. We don't have to do anything. What an incredible promise. Except there's a button we got to push on this promise. There's a button that we got to push. Because this verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 of Philippians assumes something of us. It assumes that you and I are living in John chapter 15. Because without John chapter 15, Philippians chapter 2 verses 13 does not happen. This is the foundation of this verse, but based on John chapter 15, let's go there real quick. John chapter 15 verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Oh, friends. Read verse 3 again. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken over you. If you want to understand what God does in our lives, Jesus Christ spoke it, and in his eyes we are holy. Now, now by his presence and his touch, he's going to make what he spoke a reality. That's holiness. Verse 3 alone should get you fired up. But he continues... And he says, not only do I speak it over you, now check this out, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 assumes that we are living right there. Because if we are not abiding in him, he is not abiding in us. And that verse 13 does not happen. Okay, so this is the button you push. If you're like, oh God, I want to want to be holy. Don't like, make me holy. That's not where you begin. If you want to be holy or if you want to want to be holy, focus on abiding in Jesus Christ. 
Focus on him. Read John chapter 15 and then read it again and then read it again and then memorize it and then meditate on it and say, oh God, I want to abide in you. I want to be plugged into you so that the life-giving sap that is only found in you goes from you to me every day. And you might wonder, okay, so how do I know if I'm abiding in him? What's great about this passage is it tells us. Verse 7, it just flat out tells us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is the life-giving sap that is pointed out in this passage? Well, there's three things that are very clearly there. Number one, are his words in you? Are they moving from him to you? If his words are moving from him to you, that's the sap of Jesus Christ at work in you. What else? His love. Is his love moving from him to you more and more every day? Is his joy moving in you? That is the life-giving sap that is moving from the vine to the branches. You ask the question, okay, am I abiding in him? Am I abiding in him? Here's the answer. Are those things regularly, every day happening more and more? And if that is the case, then you are abiding in him. And that great passage, Philippians 2.13, is true of you. The God, who is holy and above all, works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the promise. So focus on abiding in him. Every day, abide more and more. Don't try to be more holy. Don't start there. Start by abiding in Jesus Christ. And as you abide in him every day, day this stuff is going on and God is working in you both the will to have the desire to be holy and to have the power to be holy focus on abiding in Christ one of the favorite things for me about pastoring here at praise assembly is the incredible breadth of people that I regularly have opportunity to meet. Everybody I meet have something about them that are just so incredible, so beautiful. And what God has done in them or their history or things that you have no idea about and yet is somebody's history or background. And it's one of the coolest things for me as a pastor, probably one of my favorite things as a pastor. About six months ago, I was sitting down with the Dominies you don't know the Dominies, Vincent and Chelsea Dominie. He's from upstate New York. He was telling me a little bit about his background. If you don't know them, you should. I'd love to introduce you. God's doing some really cool things in their lives. And uh, Vincent was telling me about when he was growing up, they used to, and they still do, his parents still do, they uh, collect the sap from maple trees upper state New York, and they collect that sap, and then, 
and then they boil it down and make it into maple syrup. And boy, I love maple syrup. Liz and I have never been Mrs. Butterworth fans. We've always been the kind of people that go to the store and get the maple syrup because that's the good stuff. And so immediately they start talking about it and I'm like locked in. And they, they tell me about how it's like a 40 to 1 ratio. You get the sap, you collect it from the tree, and then you boil it and boil it and boil it and boil it and boil it. And eventually, after it's said and done, 40 gallons of sap make one gallon of syrup. So that's what they did growing up, and his parents still do. And his parents were in town, and I'd wanted to meet them, and they came to church, and I missed it because I had to get going that day, and I missed it, and I was kicking myself because I... I had previously said, okay, let's set up a trade. I'll give you some Beauchamp honey from our beehives, and you give me some of that syrup from those Domini trees. And I wanted to meet his parents because I wanted to cut the middleman out. Because I, <laughs> Dominis are great, but I'd much rather skip him and go back to the source. And I missed out on that opportunity. So bummed. So I still got to go through Vincent, and it's all right, whatever. <laughs> but he brought me a quart of that maple syrup. And we, like I said, have always purchased the maple syrup, not the stuff that's mostly like high fructose corn syrup, and then they make it brown. Like this is the real stuff. Like this is good stuff. And we've always bought that. But I brought out that stuff, and I made the kids waffles. And I didn't tell them. I said hey, I got some syrup, and I'll put it on there. Like, oh my goodness, is that good. The stuff you buy in the store is nothing compared to this. I mean, so good, so rich, so tasty, and it's the kind of thing that you're like, mmm. And I got a maple tree at home. That's what I'm thinking. Would it be possible? Could I make that happen? We used to have two maple trees out in front of our house, and windstorm took one of them and split it and it was dead and so they had to cut it down front of the church I love maple trees right when I first became pastor one of the first things we did was we planted maple trees all along Glenstone the reason why we did that is man I can't wait until those trees are grown because that time of year and they're all different, so they, they mature and turn red at just slightly different times. Because there will come a time when people are driving by Glenstone, or driving by Praise Assembly on Glenstone, and they'll see those maple trees lit up in the fall. And there will be nothing you can think of but the glory of God in that moment. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be good. Do you know what I don't do? What I do not do? Because when I drive by them, I pray over them. I pray and I speak a blessing over them. I'm like, grow little trees, grow in the name of Jesus. But you know what I don't do? I do not take maple syrup and go over to those trees and pour it on them and say, grow little tree, grow. I got some syrup for you today. And when that tree split and was damaged, you know what I did not do? We did not go over to it with some maple syrup and pour it on that tree saying, be healed, little tree, be healed. 
Because syrup doesn't give life. Sap does. Now, I am so thankful for the opportunity of what I get to do here every Sunday. I am. And I take what happens right here very, very seriously. And I can guarantee you before I step up here that I have prayed about what will be said in this place. And I have studied. And I have searched the scriptures. And I've dug into my faith. And I've dug into Christ. And then I've boiled. And boiled. And boiled. And boiled it down to about 40 minutes every Sunday. I've had people come to me and say, when I study the scriptures, when I read the Bible for myself, it doesn't come alive like it does when you're speaking. It doesn't make as much sense as when you're preaching. When we study on Wednesday nights, it's so much more rich. And boy, I sure hope so. Because 40 minutes is the equivalent of about 20 to 25 hours of studying and praying and searching the Lord. So it better be sweeter than taking 30 minutes and opening up your Bible and reading it for yourself. Maybe it won't make quite as much sense. Maybe understanding it won't be quite as sweet. But can I say this to you? What is happening here today might be a good meal and it might be sweet and it might awaken a desire inside of you. And I've tasted sap. You know what it tastes like? Water with just a little bit of maple in it. It's not nearly as sweet as the syrup. But what is happening here today cannot be for you that which gives life. If you are depending on what happens in this place for your abiding in Christ Jesus, you are not abiding in Christ Jesus. If today was the only time you cracked open your Bible this week, you are not abiding in Christ Jesus. If this morning was the first time you prayed this week, you are not abiding in Christ Jesus. If today is the first time you worship this week, you are not abiding in Christ Jesus. And if you are not abiding in Christ Jesus, then Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 is not happening in you. The study at home might not be as sweet as what happens here, but it's the only thing that will give you life. It's the only way that you will abide in Christ Jesus. It's the only way that you will find life. So crack it open. Might not make as much sense, but pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, make it make sense. Take my life. Make me holy, oh God. Work in me. Give me the desire to be holy. Give me the power to be holy. And that's the only thing that will do it for you. Because this right here is syrup. And if you're expecting this to be life to you, all you're doing is you're walking over to the tree and pouring syrup on it and saying, grow little tree, grow. 
or you're expecting this to heal you, it will not happen. It's only your life in Christ. It is only abiding in Him. And He will do the work. It is His Spirit, the Holy God. I love this. Because He speaks the word according to John chapter 15, verse 3. And declares you holy. But He doesn't stop there. Now He touches you. Not on the shoulder. (laughs) Not on the outside. He touches you on the inside. And the God who cannot be domesticated makes his home in you. And his presence makes you holy. He declares it and then he touches it and makes you holy. What a God we serve. What a glory. What a God. If you abide in him. Oh, abide in Jesus. This week, every day, read John chapter 15, beginning to end. Every day, say, God, do this in me. May your words flow. May your spirit flow. May your love and your joy flow. Bring it alive. This is not enough. I know it's sweet. Hopefully it makes a good meal. But... The syrup doesn't bring life. The sap does. So dig into that. Would you stand with me today? I've asked our worship team to lead us in that song step by step again. What I love about that song is it is this very thing declaring over ourselves, oh God, work inside. Oh God, more and more I want to serve you. More and more I want to love you. Do that work today. And so today, that's how I want to end. I want to end with worship, declaring that this is what we want. What we are seeking from him is that. May it be so in the name of Jesus.